Hello and welcome to your guide to the good stuff. I'm your host, Jim Graber. Life is too short not to enjoy every moment of it, so we're going to share with you the tips, tricks, tools, and strategies to help make your day-to-day life easier and more enjoyable. Plus, we're going to help you create those special moments, the ones that lead to lifetime memories, all without breaking the bank, because you deserve it. Hello and welcome to today's episode, Living the Gap in the Gain. I've talked a lot in these podcasts about self-improvement, and that's because the way you think and perceive things determines your happiness in any situation. Put another way, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to what happens. Having been a follower of self-improvement for many years now, I logically know this, but putting it into practice is not so easy. A positive mental attitude is the core principle, and most people, myself included, are not pre-wired to always be positive. Well, I stumbled across a book that is a practical guide to help change all of that. The best part is you're not using willpower, willing yourself to be positive and happy. There are no dubious tricks. The book is called The Gap in the Gain. So listen in to find the key to being positive from a psychologist and a coach of CEOs and entrepreneurs for over 40 years. Now, I have a customer turned friend who is wired for achievement much like I am. We've often discussed when will there be a stopping point. I have an ever-increasing I'm-going-to-build list here at our property, a growing list of things I wish to do and experience. Motivated people are always adding new goals, which is a great thing to keep moving forward, but it's also a double-edged sword. As they mention in the book, even the U.S. Constitution says the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, implying happiness is something to chase but not obtained. Well, that's not true. And I've heard it called destination disease. People write about life being a journey and not a destination, yet many people are waiting for that destination to be happy. When this happens or when I get this or that, stories of those who have achieved a great goal and are still unhappy are everywhere. Many people have suffered from this. It's not just reserved for the highly successful and the rich and famous. Books, seminars, and courses have been written and created all around how to set goals, how to build plans to achieve goals, and about building habits to make it easier along the journey. And while it's not specifically stated, everyone knows the idea is if you can set a goal and reach it, then you're going to be happy. Well, everyone wants to be happy. Well, Some people are not happy unless they're unhappy. That's another topic. But almost everyone has this idea of the good life. And in that picture, everyone's smiling and happy. Products are sold to us constantly with the idea of how it will make you happy. There's a place to go, a thing to get, just to make you happy. Even the drug companies selling a treatment for a symptom, of course never a cure, But if you erase this symptom, you're going to live a fuller, happier life. Everyone in the commercial is smiling as they discuss how bad the symptom is and why they need to treat it. How they're all laughing and playing as the announcer lists all the negative side effects, including rare but sometimes death. All of us are pursuing happiness and happiness sells. The CEO coach Dan Sullivan discovered in a coaching session 30 years ago the secret to being happy. I think the psychologist author 
Benjamin Hardy recognizes it as something we all struggle with, and I feel like the CEO coach Dan thinks it's exclusively to highly motivated CEOs and entrepreneurs, but it's for all of us. We are taught in school that we are to be measured by others. Test scores, IQ tests, etc. Most are always comparing themselves to others. Look at the effect of Facebook. Everyone's posting about their life to show how great their life is, only to discover someone else with an even better appearing life. In the movie Social Dilemma, they discussed how if teens didn't get likes, they became suicidal. They were shocked by that. But people are looking to others to be tested, measured, and judged. This comparison method and the way we measure our success is the source of our unhappiness. We are conditioned again to compare our life to an ideal. The seed for this book, again, came about 30 years ago in a workshop for entrepreneurs. He asked a particularly successful person at the workshop he was conducting about his current success over the last year. This person happened to be one of the most successful of the group. And this person went on and on complaining about how he had missed his super high goal and this didn't go right and that didn't happen. Dan tried to redirect him to all the amazing successes the guy had had in the last year by asking him about them. But the guy kept going back to the failure to reach his goal. And it was actually annoying to the rest of the group. It was something along the lines of, I only made $15 million last year when my goal was $20 million. A first world problem to be sure. It was then that Dan started to quantify the thoughts he had, but up to then had not been able to articulate. He's a visual person, so he got out the dry erase board and drew a line near the top and a line near the bottom. Then he put a circle or a mark a little below the top line. He explained the bottom line was where the guy had started a year ago, the top line was his goal, and the mark was his current location relative to the goal. The issue, he said, is you are focused on the gap between your current situation and your ideal situation. To be happy, you need to measure the space from where you started, that bottom line, to where you are now. Now, that's not how we're taught, and it's not natural for most of us, but the group in the workshop all nodded and made noises of understanding. Well, everyone except the guy who was still upset about missing his goal, he didn't understand it. Most people are unhappy because of focusing on the gap between where they are now versus where they want to be. I remember a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon where Calvin is complaining and his mom says, it could be worse, and Calvin cries, it could be so much better. Now, I have to admit, I felt like this many times in my life, completely identifying with Calvin. And the it could be worse argument, which I've been told before, feels like a negative and irrelevant comment. Creating something more negative from imagination seems wrong and doesn't really seem to apply to the situation. The great thing in this book is that is not what the book is talking about. The gain from where you are now to where you started is real. You're not making things up. You're not comparing where you are now to some imagined tragedy to feel better about it. Now, I'm taking for granted that you're pursuing happiness because you're listening to this podcast, but again, I think everyone is, and happiness is important. A study was done of a group of nuns that entered the convent in the early 1900s. They had all written essays upon becoming a nun, and researchers read those essays and labeled them as positive, negative, and neutral. The essays represented the women's outlook on life. 
And as nuns, they would have had a fairly similar life, certainly more homogenous than any other group of women, so it made a great research case. The study showed the nuns with a positive outlook lived an average of 10 years longer than the negative and the neutral group. Now, I expected the result to be greater life over the negative ones, but the fact it was also over the neutral group was surprising. One comment they made was that you have to understand life happens for you, not to you. I've heard many people, Tony Robbins especially, say life is always working to make them happy. I've always struggled with this idea, but the truth is you decide what things mean in your life. You're the only one experiencing them the way you are. So no one else can tell you what to think about them, yet we let that happen. And conditioning has taught us to rely on the value or meaning that others put on something. At a minimum, we evaluate where we are to where we want to be or think we should be. That's what we've been taught. Pursue the goal. For example, I can be working on a project and something unexpected happens. Maybe a bolt refuses to move or something breaks. I begin to complain about how it shouldn't be this way or that happening is not normal. The list goes on. After some amount of complaining and being absolutely mad, I buckle down and complete the project. I always solve the problem. But after having been so angry initially, it's hard to even celebrate the accomplishment of the goal. It could have been so much simpler, I say. Well, as Jim Rohn says, things happen to all of us. There's no shouldn't happen. It's all part of living on this planet. Not to understand so is naive, and there's no way to change it. He says when you get your own planet, you can change the rules to what you want, but while you're here on this planet, things are going to happen that are unexpected and that you don't want to happen. Another form of looking at the gain is called gratitude. Being grateful for what you have and where you are. So people like my wife are pre-wired to think this way, and she is certainly happier for it. For me, it always felt like the making up of things to be grateful for. Not that the things I was being grateful for were made up. It's just they weren't really applied to the situation. The book teaches to always measure backwards. Look at where you were to where you are now. At a minimum, you can always say you learned something from an experience. A famous example is when a reporter asked Thomas Edison if he was frustrated it took him over a thousand failures to create the light bulb. His response was that they were not failures. He just learned a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Now, I had heard that story before in the context that you have to fail before you succeed, and that's how it's most commonly used. But after reading this book, I don't think that's what he meant. He did not say failure is the path to success. He was looking at the gain before such an idea was quantified or maybe even conceived. I had missed the deeper meaning behind what he'd said. Each failed attempt crossed off another path to the goal. It's like narrowing down the options in a world of seemingly unlimited paths until he found the right one. Edison was looking from where he started from with what I'm sure were hundreds of potential ideas to solve the puzzle to create the light bulb. It was hard to decide which way to go, and each attempt he made was making the list shorter and shorter, which is definitely thinking about the gain mode. It's like a thousand ideas were in a funnel, and every time he crossed one off the list, the options got smaller and smaller, and he got closer and closer to being able to solve the puzzle 
Of course, he had the belief ahead that he was going to be able to solve it. To help shift your mindset to looking at what you have gained versus how far you still need to go, they suggest using what is known as the most powerful hour of your day. This is the hour before you go to bed. Most people look at their devices, watch TV, knowing that the blue LED light is going to cause insomnia. They still do it. The hour before you go to bed is where you can ask your subconscious to help you solve a problem. Thomas Edison even said, never go to bed without asking the universe a question. By having a question on your mind, you go to sleep and the subconscious mind is focused on the question. It works on the solution all night. We've discussed in previous podcasts the access the subconscious has to to information we do not consciously possess. The author suggests at the end of the night you write down three wins you had that day. Three successes, however you want to word them. They can be fairly simple, like I wrote a page today towards the book I'm writing. I woke up and exercised this morning. I repaired the dryer today. It can be almost anything. Write them down in a journal that locks them into your mind. Then write down three things you want to win the next day. You're basically training your brain to look for wins every day so you can write them down. He said if you write down more than three things, it means you're not going to be focused enough on the three things you want to win the next day. Now, in the beginning, they might be pretty small, but by writing it down, it directs your subconscious to work on the solution to accomplish those wins, successes, goals, whatever you call them. And by writing them down, you can look back in your journal and see where you were at in the past and how far you've come since. With growth and looking for wins, what you want to accomplish or win the next day begins to get bigger and bigger as time goes on. And again, it trains your brain to be looking for the wins, to be measuring backwards and looking for the gain. And it's going to take some work. You're going to have to be committed because there are so many ways to fall into the gap thinking. It's natural. The author shares a story about his son who had failed to complete a homework assignment and how the author got to his, onto his son about how all his failures and what he hadn't done, basically the gap of where he was at to the ideal person his father had in mind for him. The son responded, like a lot of teenagers, you only see the faults. But later, when the father was thinking about it, he realized he was gap thinking. He really was only looking at the faults. He thought about the boy's study habits from a year ago and realized how much he'd grown and accomplished. So he went immediately back to his son and apologized for his reaction and discussed the growth his son had made. The challenge is we're conditioned to always consider what could be or what should be first. Looking at what we do not have instead of all the things we do have. The first step is to recognize we're in the measuring the gap phase and to stop and look at the game. I have a recent example for you. We went to a comedian we liked very much. Our kids also like the same comedian. My wife had bought tickets for us and our son and wife expressed after that they had an interest in going. We had booked the 7 o'clock show, and my wife looked up for more tickets. It was completely sold out, so she was able to get them tickets to the 3 p.m. show as a Christmas gift. The event space holds 18,000 people, and we knew it would be a zoo getting in through the doors, so we arrived 30 minutes before the show. We went quickly through the metal detectors, and when we got to the point of scanning our tickets, they wouldn't read. We even tried to scan the kids' tickets. They wouldn't read. 
They directed us back outside to the box office to solve the problem. Somehow, the kids had scanned our tickets for the 3 p.m. show. Their tickets would not read at our 7 p.m. show since it was done. The box office quickly cleared it up, but now we had to stand in an even longer line to get back in the venue, and I was very frustrated. We had just been in there, and now we're still in line at 7 p.m. knowing the opening comedians had started. I was upset at how the technology should not have let them get into a 3 p.m. show with our 7 p.m. tickets when it wouldn't let us into the 7 p.m. with our 3 p.m. tickets. The list of should-have-beens and could-have-beens was getting quite large. Then I realized that we were in there. We would not miss the main guy we came to see. We had fantastic seats, and we were spending time together. And once I started thinking about that, that list seemed to grow just as fast. The net result was I was happy and excited versus angry and brooding. We ended up having a blast, and missing the first act had no impact on the night. Now, 10 or 15 years ago, I might have gotten too mad to even enjoy the show, still upset about the injustice of it all. All because I've been robbed of what should have been and what could have been. The point is, this strategy applies all across your life. It's not just for goal setting. The final part of the book discusses what are seen as negative events in your past, but the past only has the meaning you give it. Other people didn't, again, experience like you did, see it like you did. You're the only one can define it. And they suggest you look back at those major events and evaluate them from the perspective of gain instead of the gap. In order for it to have a negative meaning, it had to have been evaluated from the gap perspective before you knew about using the gain perspective. Again, no one else can assign meaning to events that happened to you, including those in the past. If you look with the right mindset, you will see the gain from what happened. Now, you should read or listen to the book to get the proper perspective for this. They do a much better job of explaining it. And the key is many of us have so-called baggage from our past that is holding us back. This process is how you shed that weight. It helps clear out our mind and build our confidence. And again, the book does a fantastic job of explaining the process. I really encourage you to read the book. Happiness is the key to a great life. And if you will commit to measuring things from where you started instead of what have been, what could have been, what should have been, what ought to have been, you can gain that happiness right now instead of spending your whole life in pursuit and never getting there. We're always interested to hear what you think. Please go to our website, yourguidetothegoodstuff.com, and leave us feedback. That's Y-O-U-R, guidetothegoodstuff.com. You can also reach out at our email, yourguidetothegoodstuff at gmail.com. New episodes are released every Monday and can be found wherever you get your podcast. As an added benefit, if you sign up for our email, you will receive a synopsis of what Monday's episode is about on the Sunday before. Plus, you'll get any links we share and behind-the-scenes photos delivered to your email on the Monday after the episode is released. In the meantime, have a fantastic week, and as my friend would always say, Arrivederci.